0: It's about culture now. It's like you're thumbing your nose at the process. part of politics and part of sports and part of gaming, and it's not just the future of money anymore.
1: As they push the conversation further with their own criticisms and reactions to the latest Bitcoin and crypto news from around the world. It believes crypto is bad and it wants it out.
0: I'm even old enough to remember when Microsoft was a kind of cool company in Silicon Valley.
1: Ben, you're old enough to remember when telegrams came over a wire under the sea.
0: <laughs> and just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hello, 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 hello. This is Opinionated, a podcast from the Coindesk network. And I am Ben Schiller, and I'm the Features Editor here at Coindesk. And joining me today is the marvelous Anna Bedekova. Hi, Anna. (laughs)
1: Hello, Ben. Thank you.
0: How are you? Where are you calling from today?
1: Oh, today I'm back in Belisi in the sweltering, hot capital of Georgia.
0: Wow, that sounds exciting. We're going to talk about a big debate that's happening within the world of cryptocurrency and it pits the tribe of Bitcoin maximalists, as they're known, or maxis, against other people who are broadly known as crypto. So this kind of excludes everyone who is actually anti-crypto or anti-Bitcoin. This is more of a kind of internecine debate within the crypto-Bitcoin community itself. And this takes a number of different forms. But the latest flare-up was a column that the new New York Times writer, David Yaff Bellamy wrote about a Bitcoin maximalist called Corey Klipstein, who is the inventor of the Swan Exchange. And basically the delineation of this battle is between those who continue to think that Bitcoin is the one and only crypto project and everyone else who thinks that Bitcoin is only one crypto project amongst many. And there are many other projects that have things to offer within our new internet and our new financial system. There's a difference, I think, between being a Bitcoin maximalist and being a Bitcoin. A maximalist believes that Bitcoin is the one and true coin, the only coin that should exist, and it should exist only as a store of value, i.e. you can put it in a wallet somewhere and leave it there until the price goes up or whatever the price does. Bitcoiners, on the other hand, believe that Bitcoin is the basis of a financial system and it could be used, for instance, in a credit-based system like Celsius or like BlockFi, i.e. where you stake your coin and then it can earn interest or it could be used for the basis of a loan. So that's the distinction we would make between a maximalist on one hand and a Bitcoiner on the other.
1: I actually never knew there was such a distinction, but maybe we can coin one now.
0: (laughs) Good. Nice use of the word coin.
1: There are different kinds of Bitcoiners.
0: (laughs) That's true. So you have your maximalists, you have your Bitcoiners who prefer Bitcoin, And then you have a whole other group who are much more open-minded towards the innovation system that's coming in the wider crypto community. Anna, unpack this for us. What do you think is going on here? And how do you think the crash has affected this kind of long-running debate between Bitcoin on the one hand and crypto on the other?
1: Well, first of all, it's really interesting that the New York Times, which is not covering like everything that's happening in crypto, decided to pay attention to this particular aspect of the crypto culture, right? The subculture around cryptocurrencies, which is, I think it should be instructive for the mainstream public who are not familiar with all those battles in the crypto Twitter. It's also funny, you know, how people play around the terms cryptocurrency, because for example, in this article, crypto is just opposed to Bitcoin, like there is Bitcoin, like His Majesty Bitcoin, and there are like some crypto whatever shit coins something insignificant that is not as important as bitcoin i was talking to one like really really bitcoin oldie several years ago and he was like okay bitcoin is crypto <laughs> like, shit coins are not worth that name but i think that it's fascinating how this is a technology but it's also the whole cultural phenomenon where all these foids around uh, what is worthy of the name, or what is not, what has the right to exist or not, uh, no. what is a scam, and what is the actual great technology that's gonna change the world. I don't know if that recent meltdown of the market actually proved anyone's point, like that Bitcoin wins or that we need other cryptocurrencies as well, because actually everything melted down, right? Bitcoin also went down in price, which some might argue is nothing. And at least it was not erased out of existence like uh, Terra USD.
0: But just to push back on that a little bit, I mean, a lot of the maxis were saying when the price was down at twenty-one thousand or twenty-two thousand that this was a buying opportunity, and frankly, nobody was saying that about Luna or Celsius. They weren't saying when it <laughs> dropped to zero. Oh, let's get into the Luna and Celsius market.
1: Well, that's true, <laughs> but but also that's because Bitcoin has a much longer history. It has a longer history than any other cryptocurrency. Which makes people believe that, okay, now it goes down, but there were so many times where Bitcoin went down and then went up again. So it goes down now. There's no big deal. In the long run, it will go back up. So, you know, now it's just cheaper. Buy if you can and you will thank yourself later. And of course, the Bitcoin's credibility also comes from those how many years of history? Like, is it now 13 years, right? 13 years of history, which is not like a huge time period, but it's a lot.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the kind of the base of this disagreement is that Bitcoin is a multi-node network. It's definitely decentralized. It's built for censorship resistance. Whereas these other networks are more centralized. They have less people involved. And they're not sort of built for purity on the kind of more political sense of it. They're built for more for efficiency and for throughput and for doing actual financial transactions on them. So do you think this is an argument between political purity and convenience?
1: Well, it is, but it's only one part of it. And what also makes this whole debate interesting and what makes Bitcoin interesting, that it makes this kind of counterintuitive argument that you might sacrifice the convenience The usability, the multiple ways to use a thing, to this thing's resilience. And when we talk about technology, it's even a more counterintuitive take because you know in the tech world there is this constant race to add more features to make things work faster and more efficient. Build on top of that and make this all function seamlessly. But to have this fast speed, this multifunctionality. You have to have a very efficient centralized machinery, right? The mechanism that keeps it all together. While if you want to have something really decentralized, like Bitcoin, for example, you have to deal with a certain clumsiness and the system. And when the updates have to be brought to network, be it Taproot or whatever upgrades for the Bitcoin protocol has to be made, there is the whole multi-month process. There is a really lengthy process for all the network participants to come to an agreement to signal their consent and to upgrade all the nodes on the network, or at least the majority of the nodes, which of course deprives Bitcoin of the fast speed of other protocols. The argument is that it also makes it resilient. You don't create the attack vectors. You don't create the attack points by adding crazy amount of features and make it all work fast.
0: Right. I mean, it is a rather curious situation there, isn't it? It's hard to think of another technology where a whole group of people would argue in favor of the kind of older version of the thing. I mean, you you wouldn't necessarily buy a 13-year-old car when you could buy a new car. Yeah, yeah. It's like, why would you buy the kind of old combustion engine that kind of gives you less gas efficiency, that produces more pollution, that is less fast, that is less reliable, this is more complicated why would you buy that in favor of you know a tesla that produces no emissions and doesn't pollute the planet
1: well actually some people would argue with you that like buying a 10 year old mercedes that i don't know like, every detail of which has been manufactured really really well made somebody would argue that that would make more sense than buying a newly made carb, which, which presumably wasn't made with so much manufacturing rigour.
0: But Bitcoin is made in a factory all over the world, isn't it? It's not made in, in Dusseldorf or Stuttgart, you know. It's, you know.
1: <laughs> that's, true. that's true. Yeah, and, and that's another thing. Yeah, that's really interesting. But I think the reasons why people make that argument why you should prefer Bitcoin to any other cryptocurrencies. People make this argument for all kinds of reasons. Some people might really believe that Bitcoin is technologically superior and this is, you know, that one coin that should rule them all. I absolutely would believe that some people just say that because they bought a bunch of Bitcoin at some point and they're interested in the price going up. When I think about this whole thing with Bitcoin maximalism, I remember the interview our former editor in chief, Pete Rizzo, did with Peter McCormack, I think, yeah.
0: The podcaster.
1: Yeah, the podcaster and a Bitcoiner and I think a Bitcoin maximalist too.
0: Yeah, I mean, he could be the ultimate Bitcoin maximalist. I mean, he his podcast right. is called What Bitcoin Did.
1: Exactly. McCormack asked Rizzo something along the lines, like, do you think that there is just Bitcoin? Bitcoin is superior and everything else doesn't really matter. And Pete made a really interesting point. He said, like, I really wouldn't want to believe that there would be no other experiments with this technology after Bitcoin, that it kind of all stops with Bitcoin. If you look at it that way, it's probably good that more experiments, more economic models are being constructed and tested out. Another question is if you want to put your money in that, which is just the whole different problem. When people took Bitcoin maximalism as a high moral ground, I'm a bit skeptic about that. It's okay that you love Bitcoin. It's okay that you hate scams and insecure protocols. But like, this whole industry is about experiments.
0: Yep, exactly.
1: If people want to try something new, some other technology, it's not something bad, like let them and see what happens.
0: Absolutely. And surely some of the greatest inventions of this movement, of this technological wave, have come from people doing apparently stupid or nonsensical (laughs) things, quite a high percentage of those things failing, but us kind of getting innovation out of it. And you can think about the whole DeFi ecosystem. It's full of crazy, wacky sort of ideas and coins that come up and go away overnight. But, you know, you have some fantastic, very durable protocols and projects that are surely going to be the basis for a new financial system.
1: Hey, this is Eleanor Paul, associate producer at Coindesk Podcast. If you like this show, we'd love to hear from you. Shout us out on your socials or email us at podcasts at coindesk.com. Want to hear more crypto news and analysis? Head over to the Coindesk Podcast Network to listen to The Breakdown with NLW as he fuses daily news pieces to build a larger narrative explaining the power shifts in crypto, politics, markets, and more. Or check out the Coindesk reports feed for Money Reimagined with Sheila Warren and Michael Casey as they explore the connections between finance and human culture with high-profile guests. If you want to hear about crypto, Coindesk has got you covered. Now back to the show.
0: So, just wanted to pick up on another sort of flashpoint in this debate. Nick Carter, who is a very prominent commentator and actually a CoinDesk columnist, was tweeting about an investment he made through his VC fund, that's Castle Island Ventures, into a wallet product called Dynamic, which is a non-Bitcoin project. And he was lambasted by his many, many followers on Twitter, I think over two or 300,000 followers, who criticized him for investing in a non-Bitcoin project. And he got into a big fight with these people who he claimed to be short-sighted and small-minded and not interested in the kind of wider applications of Web3. And then it led to a debate about whether he was going to support these projects like uh, Celsius, which is obviously done and death now. And Nick ended up writing a very good column for us at Coindesk defending not Celsius itself, but the whole idea of using Bitcoin as the basis for a lending system, for a new financial system. And he argued quite reasonably that Bitcoin has given up the ghost to, particularly to Ethereum and to other coins as the basis for that new financial system. And it's been sort of anti-innovation and anti-thoughtful as sort of exemplified by the debate around whether Nick Carter is a Bitcoin maximalist or not. So what do you think about all of that? And that seems like a pretty bona fide example of ignorance or intolerance towards someone with, with new ideas. And it's quite sort of ironic that someone like Nick Carter would be attacked for this because to many people, including myself, he is sort of a maximalist. I mean, I would say that Nick Carter was a Bitcoiner without being a maximalist. And here he is defending himself against maximalists.
1: Well, Nick Carter is apparently, for me, obviously, one of the brightest minds in crypto, one of the best speakers, people to talk about the state of cryptocurrency market and the ecosystem, and that you cannot take this from him. And if he gets, you know, outcasted as a not an actual Bitcoin maximalist, if if he loses that title, I don't think that anybody should consider that a huge loss for him. Because again, I think it's kind of funny to use that as a label of some superiority, like, okay, he is the Bitcoin maximalist, he is a real deal, unlike other people. Because again, you know, like, even Bitcoin maximalists In some cases, the most hardcore ones of them are not that maximalist, like Bitcoin maximalists pray decentralization and self-custody. But for example, they don't mind Tether, which is centralized, and many of them would outrageously defend Tether from criticism about not disclosing their reserves. Because guess what? Tether has been always instrumental for many people to buy Bitcoin. So, like, if it has Bitcoin, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that altcoin. I'm off my high moral ground. You know, I think this whole notion of Bitcoin maximalism as some kind of intellectual superiority is kind of funny. You know, I think it's interesting to watch as a phenomenon, but it shouldn't be taken too seriously.
0: Yeah. I mean, how much do you think this is not really a debate about, say, business or technology? And it's really to stay kind of tribal debate in the same way that Liverpool might pick a fight with Man United or the Yankees might pick a fight with the Mets, you know, isn't it a bit more like that?
1: It's absolutely a subcultural debate. It's not a technological debate. It's, It's about tribes. It's about labels. It's about people having fun fighting each other. Because, yeah, nothing regarding technology is at stake here. Whether you're Bitcoin maximalist or not, it doesn't make you more proficient in how you understand the blockchain technology. It really doesn't. Like, how much you know and what you believe in are two very different things. Again, one of the really great people to talk about Bitcoin is Eric Wall. He's as great to talk about Ethereum or Solana or various DeFi protocols. He just knows that much. Who cares who is Bitcoin maximalist again?
0: Right. True. Eric Wall is the founder of Arcane Research, and he's been on our show, I think, at least once. Yep. So how, how would you expect this debate to play out? I mean, this is you know, a long-running debate between maxis and non-maxis. They used to call them shitcoiners, but it seems to have flared up with this market crash. It's sort of given opportunity for certain people to say, I told you so, and we should never have trusted the kind of casino of DeFi and particularly these kind of outlandish projects like Celsius. Do you expect the debate to continue through the market crash? How do you expect it to play out? Do you think?
1: Well, but again, like Bitcoiners are not against this whole market of derivatives and loans and so on. This is why BlockFi and Celsius also existed, right? Right. You could use your Bitcoin as a collateral and take a loan in stable coins.
0: Wait, wait, wait. As Nick Carter makes the argument that a lot of Maxis never liked. The idea of Celsius or BlockFi using Bitcoin as the form of collateral, that they don't see Bitcoin as a form of collateral within a credit system. They see Bitcoin as Bitcoin. It's not for spending. It's not for lending. It's just for being Bitcoin. <laughs> and yeah. Car- Carter makes the point that, you know, if Bitcoin has <laughs> to think that, then it's going to give up the ghost to other projects, particularly Ethereum, where most of the DeFi action is.
1: Again, here comes this endless debate. Do you want resilience or do you want convenience? And yeah, of course, like if you just hoard your Bitcoin, put it in a safe cold wallet and I don't know, like lock it in a fireproof safe, then obviously nothing going to happen to your Bitcoin. Nobody going to lose it in in a DeFi casino or whatever. But also, you know, you cannot do it much with that Bitcoin. Like what, what you prefer is up to you which does not justify what what happened to Celsius and the whole range of crypto companies along with it. But Bitcoiners have been, and Bitcoin maximalists have been kind of proven right multiple times when, you know, every time some project crashes with a lot of noise. There was a good chance for Bitcoins to say, I told you so, that never happened to Bitcoin. But, you know, even with these 13 years of history, it's still kind of a young technology. And there is no guarantee there won't be some other project that would take over Bitcoin at some point and become the coin of choice for people buying crypto and doing stuff on the blockchain. And I think it's just really interesting to watch this community evolve. But what happens to Bitcoin maximalism? I don't know. I think any rigid ideology is doomed. Yeah because life has multiple open (laughs) scenarios, open endings, right? You better be open to various ideas. And the less dogmatic is your thinking, the better for you.
0: Well done. I think that's a great point. I I think uh, ideological people, extreme thinkers generally lose out in the end. And I think that will be the case with Bitcoiners or Maxis. And I think it was very brave actually of Nick Carter to take on some of his own tribe and defend the idea of pluralism within the crypto community even though he was not actually defending Celsius in his article. So maybe Anna we should state where we stand personally seeing this is a show called Opinionated. Put our cards on the table. Where would you put yourself on the spectrum between maximalist on one hand and crypto on the other hand which is somebody who believes in cryptocurrency generally which is a much more sort of open minded pluralist point of view. Where would you put yourself on that spectrum?
1: Woo, time of big revelations. No, actually, full disclosure, I own only Bitcoin, which is not because I don't believe in any other technology. It's just I only buy crypto to kind of make it a savings option. And given Bitcoin's liquidity, it seemed to me, you know, the best one. It doesn't mean I would never buy anything else. It's just not that I'm buying that much crypto and spending that much money on it. But I think I'm trying to keep my mind open to other ideas and protocols in trying to see what's out there. And again, as I said, what if there will be some other project that will push Bitcoin out of existence as something antique, you know, not that useful anymore at some point? We'll see. I just think that you should keep your mind open for any scenario. What about you?
0: Well, my own view is, I mean, I think just to pick up on what you said about the liquidity of Bitcoin, there's certain ways in which Bitcoin is obviously the most viable cryptocurrency project. And if you went to Miami in April to the big Bitcoin event down there, and you saw 20,000 people running around screaming Bitcoin, you know, it's undeniable that this is Bitcoin community is by far the most vibrant and important in crypto and even more important than Ethereum's, which is also very big and vibrant. Wow, um,
1: controversial taste here. Well, I
0: think, I think the <laughs> longevity of it and the kind of brand recognition of Bitcoin is sort of undeniable. And it is to many people still synonymous with crypto. When people talk about crypto, they often mean Bitcoin. So I think that's sort of undeniable. On the other hand, what I was saying before is that, you know, The idea of kind of imagining that a 13-year-old technology is the best technology is kind of a strange idea. Um, (laughs) And I know know there's there's various updates and lots of kind of development in the background, but it's not like, you know, millions and millions of people developing new versions of Bitcoin all the time. You know, a lot of the development activity is in other projects, particularly in Ethereum or Solana and some of these successor coins. So it's hard for me to imagine that Bitcoin will continue to be the supreme coin forever and i think no coin can do all of the functions of money that we would like it to do so you know to state the obvious bitcoin is better as you were saying as a store of value than it is the moment as a currency and certainly as a means of exchange
1: no but wait wait but where are you on the spectrum you're not a bitcoiner who are you
0: <laughs> well i'm a journalist writing about technology so i think i'm definitely in the crypto camp rather than the bitcoin camp although i definitely recognize bitcoin as Having some unique attributes, that's where I would say I was.
1: All right. (laughs) (laughs) Now, guys, you know everything about opinionated hosts.
0: Let the cat out of the bag.
1: All cards on the table.
0: Well, maybe one last thought. One thing I will say about this Bitcoin maximalist debate is that it is one of the kind of most durable ones in crypto, you know, so anyone who covers this space can continue to be entertained by the back and forth between the maxis who are sometimes crazy and everyone else so that at least keeps us journalists in copy and warm at night so thanks to the maxis for that
1: yeah keep it on fire guys
0: anyway i think it's a good point to wrap this up thank you anna for unpacking this complicated subject and we'll come back to you next time and this has been opinionated i'm ben schiller and thanks again for listening
1: thank you guys Bye. bye You've been listening to
0: Opinionated with Ben Schiller, Anna Barakova, and Danny Nelson. This episode has been produced and edited by Eleanor Paul with announcements by Michelle Musso. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, Opinionated, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.